0: Yeah. Um, so there are kind of psychological <laughs> reasons why <laughs> it's very hard to schedule games, and that kind of uh, you know leads to crunch time because um, you've you've taken more time than you, you you were than you planned, and now you're in this situation. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <What was> that? <laughs> That's the crunch horn. <laughs> Gotta go. It's time. <laughs>
1: Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to Sid Meier, who needs no introduction.
0: We already talked about Pirates, the second Pirates, yeah. right? That was yeah. Yeah. Forgive me, I have to...
1: Yeah, pirates, Railroads, Civ Rev. Civ Rev. And then after that,
0: then the dark, the dark <laughs> times, <laughs> the dark times. <laughs> uh, what? Civrev. I actually started a Civrev 2. Oh, you did! Now that oh. I think about it, it's, it takes a while. Civrev two. I think I remember plans for that. Yeah, right. that was that was going to be cool because we were going to have a lot of kind of sieves you'd never find in a normal civ game. We're going to have like the um, um the Amazons, the Atlantis, uh, zombies, zombies and an alien. Wow. Uh, the zombies like if they if, if they won a battle with you, then their your unit w- would become one of one of their units. Right. And um so we had like, you know, a, a group of normal civs and then we had these kind of unusual sieves unusual that would still conform to the civ model you know but they would like each, each civ in uh civ rev had a special ability and special powers you know right and so they would still do that but they would be kind of you know zombie-esque or atlantean or whatever you know so that was kind of the idea of civ rev 2 was to push it a little you know push it into it felt like we could do that with Civ Rev because it had kind of um, Separated itself from Civ in terms of taking it, you know, a different uh, looking somewhat towards a different audience and being on a different platform That we could kind of take some chances with that. So it was um, You know, it's always a fun part of trying to come up with unique abilities or unique civs or unique uh, things that hadn't been done before and by adding these Again, these kind of uh, you know, fantasy sieves and things like that. It was, uh, it, it, and I thought it'd also be interesting to, to see them interact with the normal sieves, You know, or right. how would the Romans deal with the zombies? You know. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was kind of the uh, wow, the uh, thinking behind CivRev. So there'd be to, some sort of zombie leader, who yeah. Does we know, <laughs> zombie things basically? Yeah, we we didn't get real far with uh, actually <laughs> okay. creating any uh, you know art assets or things like that, but we started to play with the gameplay and and you know uh, so that was a fun little little sideline there.
1: That's, that's almost sounds like you're because that's what you're just the things you're describing is kind of the type of thing that normally gets done by Civ modders.
0: Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like
1: we made the Civ game and then they come in and they're like, Oh, we made
0: a zombie version
1: of it, or right. we made a version where they're vampires,
0: or right. whatever. Um, right, true. And now being on console, that was a lot harder to do, I think. So we we kind of, I guess, filled the modding role there, or potentially yeah. would have with with Civ but 2. Um,
1: I mean, there's just I mean, there's a lot of design possibilities there that mm-hmm. you don't get to explore if you have to yeah. be historical.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was the idea, and also to again, kind of widen the audience and 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 uh, intrigue people with kind of yeah. what 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 would that how would that work how would how would these kind of uh, fantasy or, or non historical uh interact with the other sieves and so so that yeah. was that was kind of the the hook behind uh, our ideas for Civ Rev 2 um, no, I, I didn't never hear that that actually sounds really interesting <laughs> to me so. someday maybe we'll bring it back to life but because uh, yeah. it's always you know one of the things you've been through this as well you know one of the things with Civ is like finding more civilization <laughs> <laughs> gradually right. you know going deeper and deeper into obscure Civ land so uh, uh, this was kind of another a way of uh, finding new, some fresh the fresh approach to Civ with, uh, uh, without having to go way deep into the Civ Civ tree um, we were because we were working on three games at the time and there was kind of only resources for two okay. and might um, have been Civ 5 I XCOM probably of? yeah pro- probably um, <clears throat> eventually we got to uh Civ World, right? Which was our Facebook yeah. take. So, so on how did that Civ. start to begin with?
1: That was surprised.
0: That was a, yeah. That was. I mean, I was intrigued by the massively multiplayer potential mm-hmm. of Civ. I think that was kind of the thing that was interesting about t- tackling that was how would we. Expressive in a world with lots of players and it just felt like um, The idea of cooperation and how you know uh, really emphasizing the idea of cooperation was um, was interesting and the idea of asynchronous play and kind of uh, a game that fit into your life as a whole and not you know an evening or a, a specific period of time, but it was just there in parallel with your life. You had your regular life, and then you had your civil life, mm-hmm. and they were both going on in in parallel. So there were there were some, some really interesting design challenges to in doing that. So that was kind of the the fascination for me of, of you know giving that a try. Um, there was also the sense that grandmothers were playing, you know, right. Farmville or whatever, and that there was. Uh, you know, to me, a game has to have unknown territory to be interesting to to right. work on, and and those were the kind of the unknowns of of the Civ world game, and uh, we've you know I think we have found some interesting ways of dealing with that. Um, Civ has always been somewhat of a challenge to to pull loose from its uh, core roots. I think you know when we talk about multiplayer, for example, we we see some of those uh, challenges when we talk about, um, you know, making it real time. Not that we've done that, but other people have kind of tried that. And, you know, the, the roots of Civ are pretty strong. So trying to tear it away from its roots and, and and express it in a new way, you know, kind of always an always a challenge. So um, we had an interesting, I remember the combat system was, uh, uh, really built around cooperation and I remember we were testing it here and people would be running from one office to the other and saying, you've got to get on, we need you in this battle or whatever right. uh, and it had captured a little bit of that um, uh, that idea that I was going for of, of you know, team that the, there's something compelling about other people needing you or, or wanting you to participate or feeling that you're, you kind of got to you don't want to let the team down, and they're right. they're counting on you. I'm trying
1: to remember. I, mean, I, play, I played some, but this was six years ago. So, did you? Was it kind of like you had units and everyone kind of threw them in a pot to like?
0: Yeah. To like, um, kind
1: of like hit some bar.
0: Yeah, and it it kind of gradually, you know, it took place over time. So there was enough time to get other people to to join in and things like that. Um, uh, but there so wasn't was
1: like a map where you're moving units. No, there
0: anything, no, there right? no there was. Uh, I I uh, have only a vague (laughs) recollection of it, Um, but I I just remember kind of when we tested it internally Uh that uh, uh, there was that kind of sense of urgency about what was going on. People would kind of like go to the their teammates and and urge them to to get into the battle and things like that. Um, The you know there was there was a time based mechanic and things like that that are that are fairly uh, Facebookish and the going back to the old orthogonal 2d perspective Mm -hmm. uh two and a half d you know for for um, browser things so it was it was an interesting progression the 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 other challenge was um creating worlds big enough to have enough people to create interesting dynamics of interaction between them but not so big that you felt like a nameless uh droid in the world
1: right um and that was uh you
0: know that that was a challenge and the other challenge is kind of like does the game end i think that's you know when you're dealing with these persistent worlds how do you how do you deal with uh the idea of progress you know is there progress to a conclusion or is it kind of a treadmill where yeah. you're constantly, you know, kind of in the same place? And we we decided that it would be good to have a conclusion and, and you know, uh, playing with the amount of time, you know, weeks, days, weeks, whatever, to kind of conclude a game. How um, did, it, how did <clears> that
1: work? Like, your... Did they like the game reset every
0: yeah? It would. Seven weeks? It would when it when it came to an end. Yeah, the game would end, and, and, and you could join another game kind of at the beginning. Was there one giant game? Or were there no? Like no, there games? were they were they were individual shards right. to use. <laughs> yeah. magic technology, magic. Uh, okay. And so you um, might,
1: and if if I wanted to play with you. Um, I you, I might say you' were playing on the shard and I could join even if it's halfway through
0: yes you could up to a certain like up the first uh, let's say the first twenty percent of the game you could you could you could join in okay. and that was probably the biggest um, thing that we we struggled with and, and really never resolved was kind of getting people into the same game as their friends yeah um, that technology just never uh, never seemed to to work so um, and without that... Because
1: people would miss the window? Like, was it, a, was it a social issue or was it a technical issue?
0: It was a technical issue. You know, we had to go the friends list and the different whatever. You I know, mean, I'm not sure, you know, behind the scenes what was or was not working, but um, we just had a lot of trouble getting people into the same worlds as their friends. And that was kind of a key component that that, that uh, I think was essential to, to really right. having fun with the game. So we... Never really kind of got that to a point where I, where uh, I think it was doing what it needed to do. So, so that was it. That was Civ World. Um, the, the, the persistent issue persistence
1: issue is really hard because I think that's like key to what makes those games work is that they do have persistence. But like anytime I thought about designing a game like that, I don't, I just feel like I'm not. I don't know how to do that. I feel like I I don't know how to make a game without an end. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it just seems like once you have no end, it's like you're going to be designing this game forever. Right? Right? Like it's not.
0: But what does progress mean? I I think that's that's the question. What does progress mean if there's no end? You can't progress forever? You know, do you create this treadmill where it feels like progress, but you're just changing? Inflating the currency, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a that, yeah that yeah. is definitely one of the one I mean, of the I know, challenges.
1: I, I'm I'm very curious watching the the game that you know Brian and Tim right now are working on are making Dominations, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like the Civ kind of like a Civ version of Clash of Clans, right? And they've been periodically doing updates that go through history, like oh we now we're go- now we have the Knights era and now we have mm-hmm. the Gunpowder era and I think they're now up to the World War II era. Mm-hmm. But that kind of obviously begs the question of like, they're going to run out of history pretty soon, right? Right? Like, <laughs> what, what uh, exactly do they do? After zombies. That? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, yeah. yeah. Well, start over again. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, it, 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 you're right. I mean, that's so that's uh, an issue that we luckily we don't have to face with most of our games, but. Um, yeah. We, I think we uh, we took the approach of the game would end, yeah. uh, and, and that kind of um, allowed us to have the <clears throat> progression through history and technology and things like that. Right. Um, that,
1: were there any other little sort of bits of game mechanics that you thought were kind of unusual, and interesting? Since you, you know, in this new medium,
0: we we kind of put in a. Um, there's a word for it in Facebook, but where you kind of click on something and you get one gold or something like that. Right. Um, Which I think we regretted at the end of the day. Um, But we were. Do you mean uh, a
1: notification? Like, do you mean something that went to someone's uh, newsfeed? No. Do you mean something in the game itself? This was
0: in the game where you could, um, you know, if you were, if you, Wanted to spend some time clicking. Oh, there's a real time clicking aspect right, to it. Right, right. You wanted to, if you needed just three more right. science to get that next thing, and you, you know, you didn't want to wait for the clock to tick over or whatever that you could kind right. of uh, do some clicking here or there. Um, so when did you regret it? Well, it just felt out of out of place. Um, you know, there's um, the whole idea of do you reward mindless clicking or do you re- reward intelligent play, you know, and I think we, we said both. <laughs> uh, and that, I think that uh, upset the intelligent players that somebody could mindlessly click their way to accomplishing something that they, you know, by hanging around long enough or clicking fast enough or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, you yeah, I think that was a, that was something that, that we tried, um, Okay. It was. It was just. I mean, it was a lot of uh, new territory for yeah, us, and sure. and uh, and the whole idea of testing is very different and difficult, and you know, beta testing and trying to get a thousand people to play and stuff like that. And it was all um, kind of the first time you know for us yeah. doing any of these things. And I think we, we learned a lot. Um, yeah. But there's probably some things we do differently if we did it again.
1: Do you think there's a way to make a game like this that would
0: work? um no okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. i you know i think uh what's what's plans and okay what are the intractable
1: problems then
0: i think the the ending of the game um is an issue i think that uh having people playing at the same time or or the problem of having them not playing at the same time is a difficult you know it kind of puts everything on a A daily schedule, or kind of slows uh, slows everything down to to a pace where everybody has had their you know had a chance to to show up at some point. So um, the uh, kind of the imbalance between people who are willing to play for three hours and the people who want to drop by, you know, every uh, you know once a day or something. Um, I think there are um, you know those kind of those kind of issues. I think that Civ. I think that, you know, other companies like Clash of Clans or whatever have, have taken a, a better approach, which is to design from the ground up without, um, kind of limitations or without a model in mind, right. uh, specifically for that format. And yeah, I think that makes, that makes sense. Um, but it was, uh, yeah. it was an uh, kind of an interesting, yeah, yeah those people all the sort time. of
1: like exist in their own little worlds and they oh, right. sometimes bump into each other, but it's mm-hmm. not like, yeah. You know, trying to force them into a single game yeah yeah
0: but I think they, you know they've captured the thing some of the things that we were going for which was the the urgency of of working together with other people you know the the kind of uh, protect building something and protecting it from actual other people uh, you know both the, both the kind of competitive and uh, cooperative aspects you know are, are compelling and right. you know, kind of if you can bring if you can do both those things, I think it, it makes it really, um, a whole different game. I think, you know, Civ, standard Civ, is really a, a, a battle against your last game. You know, it's like, can I do better than the last time? Or, you know, have I learned? Have I gotten better? So you're kind of competing against yourself often in, in right. playing normal Civ, where this is like competing against other people, and and there's this visibility in in a game like, you know, like Clash of Clans, where other people are aware of what you're doing and judging you, probably, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and in Civ, you're kind of uh, in your little cocoon and you can try things out with other people saying, that was a dumb thing to do, or whatever, so, you know, the experiences are, in a lot of fundamental ways, pretty different, so uh, that was, you know, that was kind of some of the things we that we were uh, trying to find solutions for.
1: Yep. Now it must have been, it must have been a big change for you technologically as well, right? Like were you, were you, you were you writing the code for this game?
0: Yeah, I wrote the code, and um, but it must have been what probably in Flash. What mean no, to? No, I don't. In the browser. No, all I know is C. Right, no, C, no, but like the version... C minus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but the version that must have been spit out to the browser was probably in Flash. It would either have been Flash or it should probably, that would have been probably. too early for that. It must have been Flash.
0: You know, I probably uh, raced most of that game from my memory. So <laughs> I, I... <laughs> well,
1: did uh, you guys... I know sometimes uh, at Fraxis, you know, they build a kind of system where you write something of one... right. In it, yes. C, right, and right. then they kind of right. adapted it to something else somehow. So, um, I mean, your C could code have could have worked on the server. Did you right. write the server, and someone else wrote the client? Is that how it worked? Or
0: no, I was very clienty oriented. Um, I think what I would, my client would would grab the master file. Right. Update it and write it back. So the so the server was just a file, basically. Uh, now this is f- through our you know iteration and our development. Right. You know, I think you you you've got a point that perhaps for production uh, something else happened, but um, the you know through through the development testing it was all. Was C on a PC on a PC, okay. And
1: you were running a client that was just like an app. Or not, yeah, it was just an executable. Yeah, on your, on mm-hmm. your okay. yeah. And it okay. would,
0: like I said, it would it would just grab the master file, update okay. it, and write it back.
1: Well, there must have so, been some some interesting stuff going on there making it work because, especially <laughs> back then, like just trying to get a game run in a browser is mm-hmm. not yeah. simple.
0: So. Yeah, there's like an SQL SQL database or something. I remember now. now that not you mentioned a couple uh, right? A couple of our guys working on those kind of things. But I think it it worked in large part on this idea of just having a file um, and updating it. It's
1: a file um, meaning
0: a, a master, like a, a common file, you know, a master file of, of the world, a right. snapshot of the world, and you grab it, update it, and put it back. Okay. Uh, everybody would be doing that. Sounds dangerous, but...
1: Yeah, I know. It sounds... <laughs> you're being a little kind of nonchalant about this. Like, you know, this is something that is... A lot of companies have not done, <laughs> done,
0: done uh, particularly well. Sure, but. we'd lock the file when we read it, <laughs> and then we would unlock it when we put it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh, okay. Uh, cool, well, should we, what came after SimWorld? then? I guess it would have been Ace Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is you moving to
1: mobile for the first time. Yes,
0: yes. I was rambling about the computer Gaming landscape. <laughs> um, I'd always uh, been well, one you know, fascinated by World War One airplanes, right. and I had this kind of card game version of of World War One planes that I had done many years ago. I thought was really cool, uh-huh. and um, uh, was really the inspiration for Ace Patrol. The idea of kind of a turn based uh, airplane game mm-hmm. uh, drawing on just the lore of World War one planes and the, the aces and the and the cool air different airplanes and right. um, <clears throat> and it lent itself to mobile touch that kind of stuff and it was it, I thought the game was worked really well. I, 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 you did know, you did you know it was going to be mobile from the beginning, or were you like you um, want to make a World War One <clears> flying game, and then? Yes, it was going to be mobile friendly. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think we had some
1: fairly. I guess sorry. When, when I guess what I'm getting at is, did you decide to make a mobile game, and then you kind of looked around and you thought World War One planes would be a good fit for that? Is that basically I, what I happened?
0: think we wanted to make a multi-platform. We wanted to mo- mobile to be one of the possible platforms. Okay. And we had some fairly dark um, impressions of the capabilities of mobile right. uh, systems. So, you know, doing real-time 3D and stuff like that was not um, uh, something that we avoided. Um, although, in hindsight, it turned out the platforms were well, probably more powerful than we, than we anticipated. But... Um, it felt like a uh, a type of game that that could work well on mobile in terms of you know horsepower and processing things like that um, could be accessible in terms of gameplay and things like that. And that you know, topic was kind of cool, something we hadn't done before, and um, so those were the you know kind of those were the basic um, parameters that we went into it with and. Um, the game kind of grew in a fairly typical Phyraxian manner, you know, first they're just basic flying, and then there's like, well, let's have these pilots with their personalities and their different skills, and, and you know, a campaign, and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of grew from these basic uh, mechanics. Uh, had some clouds, and some anti-aircraft, and you know, so that um as in most games, you know you have a core mechanic that you like, and then you add things to to add variety and and, and, and growth and, and you know advancement to it. Mm-hmm. Start it simple and right. make it make it more interesting, and add more possibilities as you go deeper into the game. So, um, that you know, I think that stuff was all um, uh, really I thought that worked well, and um, we were able with a really small team to. Um, uh, Trade something that that was well did well you know worked well was fun um, <clears throat> you know I think what we struggled with was the whole uh, monetization which is part of the mobile world right. I think that we really went back and forth between you know a, a free demo and then you would buy the game you know if you liked it or um, you know all the different Monetization models that that kind of influence game design in that world you know I think we were trying to become familiar with or learn or try you know right. come to terms with and uh, um, you know as a game designer that's a, that's a tough that's um, an additional thing. Um, you know, elephant in the room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that you're trying not to think too much about, but right. kind of have to accommodate in some way. So, right. um, so you're used to
1: just giving the player everything, that you, right? As you can to make them enjoy the game, right?
0: Right. And 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 yes, and I and I think you do that regardless. You know, I mean even whatever your monetization model is, you you have you know you want to do that, but um uh our our you know our thought our approach was to do that and then just say at some point are you having fun <laughs> having fun yet <laughs> uh, if you are then you know here's the british campaign or whatever here's the german campaign right um and uh and then we got into the world of metrics and uh-huh. uh you know the Apple world, the iPad, the i uh, iTunes world, where everything sells in the first thirty-seven minutes, and then another game comes along. And uh, so, um, again, a lot of you know I've I've, <clears throat> I've talked about how part of the fun of this industry is how technology changes, and right. you're, you're able to take advantage of it. You know, and I think we're. We're in, in this era, we're we're just in a in a time when things have changed so fast that by the time you figured out what how the current technology works, a new you know, a new thing has come along, you know, whether it's um, Facebook or mobile or indie or yeah. high res, low res yeah. games games that don't have gameplay, Well, <laughs> whatever. Do, so yeah. So I do remember, you know,
1: when Ace, Ace Patrol came out and then you had what the campaign packs or whatever right. you call them exactly. And I remember there being a certain amount of drama around that of just people kind of being upset by that. Um, but like, I think it's kind of strange because looking back now, I think especially, I guess whatever is probably four or five years later, the stuff you are doing then just uh, I don't think it would even register now. Mm-hmm. It would just seem totally normal now. Yeah. And even then, I think it was Still fairly common. Um, I mean, you guys had. I mean, Ace Patrol had the um, virtue of being a, at least a game that you could just you could buy the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or uh, maybe did it, did it have well, that, a, some sort of a? Did it have some sort of a, a purchase that you could do over and over again? That's usually kind of the big differentiator. Right?
0: There was a um, like a your. Ace could get shot down. One of your guys could get shot down, and there's a way to like break him out of German. POW camp or something like that. Oh, so. okay. So okay, so you guys
1: were flirting a little. We were
0: that. flirting with the, the dark side. <laughs> a bit there. Yeah. Did so. <laughs> would he come back eventually? Was yeah, get com- him faster basically. It was a way to get him back faster. You know, okay. He would come back eventually. So okay, well that it, is that is interesting. <laughs> I
1: thought you guys were just selling campaign facts, but that's right. Well, okay. there were
0: there were um, yeah,
1: but yeah, that stuff is just all over mobile now, and to some extent, like the generation that you know, of kids who are growing up with that, like they're. They're not, they just don't have the same assumptions. And I think to right. some extent, the fact that a lot of the people who probably played Ace of Patrol were like Sid Meier fans mm-hmm. who also had phones and were like, oh, cool, Sid Meier is making a mobile game. But these were people who were coming with the assumptions of a PC gamer, mm-hmm. like, you know, a core yeah. PC gamer. So mm-hmm. they were much less likely to be friendly to micro Transactions yeah. than mm-hmm. your average mm-hmm. audience. So kind of like you almost, you know, they, you've benefited from being, you know, a well-known game designer, obviously, but this is like one of those moments when it's like, right. (laughs) Yeah. The downside of that, I guess.
0: I think, you know, I think you have a good point there. We saw that with uh, a Rev as well, that there is like a perception that this is what Civ Sid does. Yeah. And if he's, does something different, maybe he's going to stop doing what he used to yeah, do. Right. And that's you, scary. And give me
1: my sit back. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so so there might've been some of that. Yeah. Um, I, well, the other thing I remember is we had um, with, with Ace Patrol, we, you uh, could play the first um, campaign, British campaign you know, right. for, for free. And then, um, and I think they were like th- in the British, campaign there were like four battles say so you can play the first battle right. and at the end of the first battle would say you know you know whatever you're doing great uh wouldn't you like to to play the rest of the the campaign and you know, it'll cost you 99 cents or something um and the way we presented that um if you didn't say yes right away you're kind of thrown back to into the outer darkness of so, Having to start over again or something, like you and, lost your progression, right, or whatever. And did on that um, okay, um, and I like a week in, I realized because we're getting these metrics, of course. So in, a, in the week in, I kind of realized that, that I'd done that wrong. So I changed it around to make it a lot more friendly, and and our like retention rate, which is like the key yeah. metric, went up from you know ten percent to twenty five percent or oh, something wow. like that, and it was okay. like oh cool. Um, Unfortunately, we had by then missed the yeah. bubble, which yeah. is like the 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 you know the first three days of release or whatever like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's one of the things I kick myself about hmm. over.
1: Okay, so you, um, you you definitely got into watching the numbers a little bit and seeing how. how
0: yeah, hard. I think that's um, that is definitely something new that is fascinating and sometimes soul crushing. You know, when mm-hmm. you when you see numbers like uh, you know. 90% of players haven't gotten past uh the third bout, you know, campaign I, and it, you know even with games that we know are are doing well like civ right. um a surprising number of players don't get very far into the game. You know, yeah. I think it's um you know that this the fact that there's so many games out there I guess or, or yeah. you know if a game doesn't we used to say, you know, the first hour was important to kind of um, you know, get the player into the game. Now, you know we have three minutes or something like that right. to uh, to convince the player that this is a worthwhile way to spend their time. So, uh, the metrics give us an insight into that kind of stuff, which is. Did Which is useful, but also sometimes really <laughs> discouraging. <laughs> Did you get enough information
1: to, to actually play? So you, what you said you fixed is sort of what I call game flow, mm-hmm. right? Of like yeah. you do the mission, and then you kind of figure out, well, this the player is here. Let's remember he's there. Let's right flip, put it, you know, put that person here or there. Um, Did it give you enough information to actually change the game mechanics themselves? Like, did you mess around with that? Like, you know, they like to do this type of role or that type of role or this type of thing.
0: I don't think we had uh, information at that granularity. But a, a lot of the other things we saw were kind of what we expected, that... The the most popular purchases were the the rest of the British campaign, Um, the German uh, you know the German campaign. You got some new airplanes and things like that, and certain aces and certain you know there was also the ability to kind of customize your plane to make it look cooler and all those things kind of happened at a rate or you know in proportion to kind of what we would have expected. So it felt like the the game essentially was working reasonably. you know I, I don't i don't think there was um and people were getting you know there wasn't we could tell how far people got into the game and there wasn't any like moment where um a certain mission that they stopped at or whatever you know the right. the, 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 the the big drop off of course was when when the first battle was over and then you get to decide whether you wanted to purchase the the rest of the campaign or not but other than that it was a pretty smooth uh, progression as to f- how far people got into the game which was which was great because I think you know one of the challenges is making those first three or four missions or episodes or whatever it is ones that you have um, kind of tuned the difficulty and uh, you've created something that draws people players deeper and deeper into it right. and I think there's always the dangers by the time you're at the end you're You've totally lost your perspective on what a new player is going to right. think or play or feel or whatever, and you can
1: and having having the actual numbers,
0: right? It's helpful. You so, know, I think there's definitely this phenomenon of people play halfway through your first mission and then they stop, you know, yeah. and that's, you, you, you've, you've lost the perspective of what a first-time player is like and, yeah. and I think we saw fairly good numbers. Uh, yeah. Players wanted to kind of continue on. Yeah. So.
1: so, for that change you mentioned, which, you know, affected your retention mm-hmm. significantly, but it was right. kind of like too late, and I know for a lot of companies, what they do now is they'll be like, they'll basically like release the game in the Philippines, right, mm-hmm. but only in the Philippines. Yeah. And they'll like take that time to like, you know, mess with the game. Right. Like figure out like oh wow our retention is only ten percent we can't mm-hmm. release the game mm-hmm. until we fix this problem. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, that's yeah that's one potential way to to kind of like deal with this issue of like you
0: only really have one shot at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was this was a the early days of you know, certainly in you know, our first our first uh, mobile game. Yeah. Learned a lot.
1: Yeah. Did you? I mean, was there were was there parts of you know just the, the mobile interface like you know holding a phone using your fingers that like you know you know you enjoy it open your eyes to like a different way um, to make games or
0: the fact that we could make a game with a small team actually was probably the most uh, satisfying part of it because that opens up a lot of possibilities um, the uh, I resisted putting it on the phone. I was very happy with the tablet, but I but I really resisted the phone part because I can't. I, you know, it's like how can my beautiful game exist on this little <laughs> tiny screen? Yeah. Um, but it actually worked better than than I had anticipated. So that was that was a, uh, some good information. Um, but I I, I I you know I like the, the 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 size of the project and then you know, the, you know the we got it done in less than a year and we had a small team and we were able to kind of do a, a topic that we hadn't done before, you know, and I think, yeah. you know, that's um, that's that's fun, uh, you know, we, we love Civ and it's keeps us here and alive and it's, it's a beautiful thing Right. Sure. Um, but there's always this tension between, you know, doing a sequel or doing something new and, you know, to kind of strike that balance yeah. um, and with, you know, with the cost of games these days and things like that, it's, it's harder and harder to take a a major risk, right. uh, but that, you know, that was, a, yeah. mobile kind of allowed us to to, to, to try something yeah. risky.
1: Yeah, not small teams, are. Uh, I like small <laughs> teams. <laughs> Does, uh, do you ever think you'd be able to do something that would be, like, totally, like, mobile native in the sense that, like, you know, it really would only make sense with touch controls or with tilt controls or whatever, and like because you know it sounds like well, so for a lot of these games you've tried on mobile, there's been the sense of like, well, we can also do a PC version right. later.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, personally, I mean, the, the games that I tend to design tend to grow, and you know, just mentioning with Ace Patrol, like we started with some basic flying mechanics, but then we added the. The the pilot personalities and the yeah. campaigns and the this and the that you know I think that I tend to gravitate towards games that are you know maybe bigger and yeah. more deeper and, and and kind of are inviting you to um, you know would be non casual I guess you know if yeah. there's something called casual gaming then my games would be not casual so um, I have nothing against mobile but I but I don't have a real uh, fascination with the idea of trying to write specifically to kind of the casual mobile audience you know that's probably not my my strength or or, you know so so i I think mobile's cool and i you know i thought race patrol worked well but still it was a game that invited you to to think and plan and and you know and spend time with it so um the you know casual you know it's just i don't have good ideas for that you're used to
1: you used to writing novels, not poems. Something, right, something right. Like yeah. yeah.
0: I mean I um yeah. I, right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um before we leave uh, Ace Patrol, have you did you ever play the game books Ace of Aces? Yeah. Oh you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Did yeah. that influence you at all?
0: Uh yeah, I think there there was uh yes. the the kind of turn based ishness of it. Um um, um, just for
1: this, the for the reader, listener, reader, uh-huh. the reader's benefit. For the listener's benefit, <laughs> Ace of Aces was a game book that you would like. You'd open up a page and would you, you would see like you'd see. I don't know how to describe it. You'd be looking out the window of your plane right? and you could go whatever, left or right or upper. To choose, you know, another, choose another to maneuver. maneuver yeah. And it would send you to another page which right. would show now you're in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like the most... It was like a super analog way of creating a flight simulator. So yeah, go
0: ahead. yeah. definitely some parallels with that. I think that uh, the frustration with Ace of Base is trying to visualize it kind of in 3D. You know, I think uh, have... A lot of times, where you ended up was a surprise. I think he's the face of that. Okay, oh, so kind of thinking in depth about it was a little hard. It was, you know, a very innovative what you could do with with uh, with a paper game. Yeah. Um, and we tried to, you know, we tried to build on on some of that. And uh, um, you know, the the card game that I came up with, you would have to actually pick three cards uh-huh. that you you kind of have to play in the order that you had chosen them. So you'd, you'd be anticipating, you know, kind of, I think he's going to do that, so I'm going to yeah. do this, whatever. So, it, again, you know, I guess that's my nature is to take a simple idea and <laughs> make it complicated. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> this is, <this> is my <laughs> way. Make uh, it more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Um, so I think after Ace Patrol, then we move on to Starships.
0: Well after ace Patrol, we did pacific right. skies okay. which is uh you know a a sequel essentially to ace patrol where we right. where we said let's chuck the incremental monetization model oh, okay. and just make a, just a single a single game? price game okay. and um you know in in, in um world war two planes and right. similar mechanics some new things right. um
1: did that do? Did that
0: do better? With the it did about the model? same. It was actually unfortunately we had no, we we got no good information because it did about equally well <laughs> okay. to to Ace Patrol. So well, it could have, it could have
1: done worse, I guess, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. So um, and uh, in, in some ways, I think the the setting was less sure. uh, exciting than Ace Patrol. You know, I think it, it it's it's cool. You know, aircraft carriers and torpedoes and all is kind of cool if you're into that. But uh, World War One planes are just, I think, a little more romantic and sure. exciting, and and uh, less—it's less real. Yeah, I think that by the time you get to World War Two, war is not as much. War is more warlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, in World War One, it's it just kind of in the, the mists of history, so you can kind of bypass some of the yeah. the less. Uh, appealing parts of things so but anyway so it, it was uh, it was about okay you know let's kind of get away from that monetization model and just sell yeah. a did, game did um, that
1: did that change how you worked as a game designer to not work, really to go back
0: no to the... no um, we we just we just didn't have to you know kind of interrupt the flow with with this or that right. um, so it was um, yeah it was it was it a game, right? Yeah, it was kind of fun. Must have
1: been <laughs> must have been a little bit easier at least to uh, to do it, just the same. Yeah,
0: one. I, it it was yeah definitely able to use a lot of the same mechanics, uh, adding some some new things. Um, when I was a kid, uh, one of the first or you know one of the early books that I read was about these Pacific flying aces or whatever. So in my mind, you know, it was really a cool. Topic, um, um, so it was a fun game for me to do to to dredge up the you know different types of airplanes and things was, like that. Was but,
1: there something with the Pacific that made it a better setting for like, um, opposed to fighting you know fighting over Europe?
0: I think, um, I think the fact that Ace Patrol was in Europe was set in Europe. Um, the Pacific kind of gave us a, a, a change of sure. scenery, you know, right. the blue skies and the lovely balmy pacific um and having ships and things you know just a, kind of some different elements that sure. that i think would could add some new new gameplay and things like that but um you know had we done another one we probably would have done a european um, right. world war ii scenario but um that would have been you know i think too much right so. <laughs> <laughs> cool um all right so now we should talk about starships starships um. Yes. Yeah, so our little team, um, kind of moved on to to starships. The idea, um, and so this is
1: basically the same guys, right? You've yeah. Maintain the same small yeah. size team, just moving forward. Yep. Right? Yeah.
0: This okay. was our this was our multi platform mobile, team. mobileish team. Okay. Small team. Um. I had never done a space game. But I'd always been fascinated by—I mean, you growing up with Star Trek and Star um, Wars—you have this uh, fascination with um, space, space Mm. combat, the idea of kind of building your own spaceships, starships. Um, You know, kind of the core of the game was this idea of building a fleet of starships and you know deciding what sort of weapons you wanted to put on them and what new shields and armor and engines and kind of designing your own starships and then taking them out uh, into starship battles um, with a overlay of a, you know a universe and planets and places to go and reasons to go there and things to happen when you got there. Right. Um, with the battles being, you know, we talk about the center of gravity, you know, whenever you have a strategy layer and a tactical layer, yeah. you've got to kind of figure out yeah. how, they're, how they're going to interact. Um, and the the idea was that the tactical battles would be this, the center of gravity, but the strategy layer would kind of give you a reason why you were there and, 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 and why you wanted to win and what the rewards would be, and et cetera. So it was kind of a tactical, heavy game, but with a strategy overlay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to go turn-based for the tactical battles, mm-hmm. although that wasn't... A given at the beginning of the design. Yeah. But um, classic RTS problem of how do you. I wanted your fleet to consist of multiple ships. Right. And once you decide that, um, you definitely run into the buzzsaw of real time, um, you know, click. Click festing? Do you want to click fest or not? Yeah. Um, and uh, touch fest. Uh, right, right. <laughs> and definitely, you know, some of the platforms we were looking at uh, did not lend themselves to yep. click festing. So, and and I'm not a big fan of it anyway. So, um, so we went with turn based, hex based um, combat, which I thought worked pretty well. That it mm-hmm. allowed you to plan. To um, uh, have the design decisions that, that you had made in the building of your starships be important and 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 be useful in battles, we uh, did a couple of things that I that I um, uh, that I hope nobody really noticed. But <laughs> <laughs> um, space, of course, is three dimensional. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, it's it's kind of hard for us humans living on the flat Earth to right. visualize things in three dimensions. Um, so we flattened space to right. two, two dimensions. Um, a a and, lot of space games do that, <laughs> right? To I'm be not, fair that's, <laughs> that's, that's, for it's good not reason. <laughs> unusual. Although it is and,
1: funny to think, I guess you actually had more three dimensional mechanics at Ace Patrol true Then you did in starships <laughs> which is interesting yes, but yes here, we right?
0: had elevation and altitude um, and the other thing we did there's no uh, there's no terrain in space mm-hmm. yep. but terrain I mean what, what good is a map without terrain yeah. so we invented uh, these kind of clouds of cosmic dust okay. that created created terrain created uh, hiding places created good and bad places to be in places you could go and places you couldn't go um. Uh, so that um, you know those, those things I guess you know if you're a game designer you want a map with terrain on it and yeah. you know that's yes. that's your, your preferred place of, yeah. of playing so uh, we, we translated all that stuff into into space yeah. um, and yeah, those <laughs> asteroids <laughs> As the, right the asteroid field and um, and we were able to, you know, do things like uh, photon torpedoes and, you know, different kinds of weapons and shields and mines. And, you know, there was a lot of cool raw material to draw on in that world that, that we were able to, to add to the game. Right. Uh, so it wasn't just uh, tanks, you know, it just wasn't World War II tanks translated to space. But uh, we did pick up some, you know, the, the 2D world and the hexes and the um, terrain idea from... Kind of classic uh, map-based uh, battles, right? Um, <clears throat> and uh, th- I thought it—you know—I thought it, it, it did what we were trying to do, which was to make um, building s- starships interesting. Um, we had the modular system, which um, uh, somewhat. One of the things that we maybe were not able to do quite as effective as I hope was to make the ships look like what their special capabilities were. You right. know that looks like a really powerful ship or that that was a, a little bit difficult with uh, with the modular system. but um, overall, I thought the game worked well we we uh, ended up tying it into the world of beyond Earth. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Tie, it came out at about the same time, right. right.
0: I think yeah, so somewhat after that, right. um, the the different um, different races and things like that. Um, so that was um, you could either buy into that if you wanted to or or not. Uh, it, could, it was it was very much a stand you know it could play it very much standalone. Although there were some achievements and things like that that kind of crossed over into into Beyond Earth. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I know. I was surprised when I played it. And I went to the strategic layer. How much sort of Civ-like stuff there was mm-hmm. at the top layer mm-hmm. um, which I, I understood why you did that but then it made me start to feel like I should play it like a Civ game mm-hmm. you know just because I have so much like built-in right. like assumptions about mm-hmm. Civ-type elements you know yeah
0: um, Yeah. well the Civ model I think is, a, is one way of layering things on you know kind of Starting with that you know, that one planet and then gradually exploring the world and it's a way of giving you a sense of progress and unfolding and and gives reasons why you can't think can't do something now but you can do it later. You, You know, you you now have more resources, you can have more ships, you know, there's there's that kind of classic start small and grow, you know, built into the Civ model. Um, which I think you know is 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 a good way to go. You know, there there may well be other ways to sure. implement that, but that, that that was that was one. Um, so, yeah. There's many many different ways to do <laughs> to skin those cats. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess it's funny because probably a number of times we've, we've circled around the topic of. A Civ game where you then zoom in and you have battles, right? But in yeah. a sense, like that's just kind of a little bit of what Starship was. It, you just made the Civ level much more, you know, a, right. much more a boiled down, light version.
0: Yeah, and I think that's essential. Um, we we tried that with with Civ two to right. to add battles and ran into you know what we call the covert action problem that um, just too much too too two compelling games happening kind of in parallel is, is too much. You know, you kind of, you do the battle and you come back to the strategy layer and you're like, what, what the heck? Um, and you're, you're always faced with the issue of, I want to be in the other game, you know, I'm in the middle of a battle and I really would rather be, you know, over there or I'm, I'm managing all this strategy stuff, and when can I get to the next battle or whatever? <laughs> so um, there's always that danger of, ha- of having the player be stranded, kind of in the wrong, <laughs> wrong half of the game. Yeah. So by making one or the other, uh, you know, basically interesting, but not something that you're going to spend a lot of time with. I think the, I mean, I'm trying to think of. M- typically, we'll go with, uh, you know, a more flat, a more the, the center of gravity being in, in the tactical layer, and I think right. X, XCOM, same thing. Um, but uh, Pirates is one example of a game where I, where I see it being the other way around, where right. the, the kind of the story element is key, and the um, and the, the ship battles and things like that are um, are the kind of spice that, but they don't last uh, long enough to kind of take you out of the flow of the story that you're. That you're in. I'm trying to think of any other examples, but I'd, um, you know, I think none come immediately to mind. Where I mean, in, you know, in, in Ace Patrol, and it's always kind of like the often, typically the t- the battle, the the tactical parts that you know you spend the most of the time in, and then the the, the strategy kind of takes you to the next battle.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, um, I since uh, I guess that takes us up. To the present, more or less. I mean, you're working on other stuff, but right. I you can't really talk about Nothing
0: it much. that we can talk about at the moment. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'll come back in five years. We'll <laughs> talk about what else you do. Yeah. Um, I'd like to, I have some more sort of general questions. All right. About sure. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. development in general and how you view your, your, you know, your career. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, how do you decide, you know, when a, when a prototype should actually go into production? Because I know I've known I've seen times when you've shown off stuff from your hard drive where you have a ton of prototypes that are yeah. like have these weird things and are interesting, but they don't ever
0: you know turn into real game. So like, how do you go through that process? It I don't think there's one good answer to that. It really I mean in some cases it depends on whether there are resources available to do something, uh, how um, how risky the project is, where how it. You know, does it fit into an, a new, you know, mobile model or something? Um, we, it's a slight diversion here, just last week, um, we were able to bring to life the computer that I actually wrote Civilization on. I'll have to show it oh, really? to you after, wow. after we cool. talk. Um, and in my games directory, there's like 12 different <laughs> Games and there, Random you know. yeah. I mean, I was like spies and West and Napoleon and World War Three and dinosaurs and wow. Um, so I mean, I, I didn't I hadn't realized how many different things I was working on. You know, I was like, God, this was like 1990. Yeah. We should have copyrighted. You know, if <laughs> you want to write a Western game, you got to talk to us. If you want to write a space game, you got to talk to us. You want to write a game about you know Napoleon? Got to right. talk to us. Spies got to talk to us, yeah. uh, <laughs> but we missed that opportunity. Um, but uh, and then there's civilizations like that. <laughs>
1: right, right. Like, all right. I guess that one worked out. I got that one at least. Um, You've forgotten about a lot of those prototypes, I assume. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I, I, I had, I had. Uh, so yeah, I think I mean there's probably two or three prototypes around for every every game that actually got published. Um, How much time
1: would you spend on one of these things? That is just probably
0: an probably a month, yeah. I'd say. Um, yeah, probably something like a month or two. Depends on you know what 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 else is going on at the time.
1: Would you usually make the decision on your own, like you decide to pass on it? Or?
0: Um, no, it would have to I, I, you know kind of one, once it got past me and you know sure. maybe one or two other people that are working with me, it, you know. As time has gone on, it's gotten bigger. You know that that decision has gotten more and more um, influence. In you know more and more important uh, because right. teams are larger, et cetera. So, um, well, what do you,
1: what do you look for? Like, what are you looking for in the prototype uh, that makes you feel like you really want to push it forward?
0: Um, I look for uh, what often happens is you get to a certain point and kind of run out of ideas or run out of um, it it's okay you know it's 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 okay but i don't see where it's going to go from here from here you know i don't i don't it's fun for an hour but i don't see how you get you know 10 hours 20 hours of gameplay out of it um that's kind of where um where prototypes will 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 end you know i mean I, we talked about the the dinosaurs you know that mm-hmm. um In one case, yeah, yeah, one case it was just too close to Magic: The Gathering, you know. In another case, it was an RTS that didn't have range, you know. They're um, just kind of you realize there's a there's a problem that's going to be either impossible to to solve or very hard to solve, or that will, in solving, create a whole raft of other problems. Right. That um, you know, that kind of. Decide that it's not really worth trying to trying to trying to go any further. You know, on the one hand, I, I claim that you can make a game out of any topic, uh, you know, any possible topic, anything can be turned into a game. However, it might not be a great game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I wanted to ask about something like that. Do you
1: have a Do you have like a white whale of game design, like a, a thing that like you've always wanted to do, but you have never kind of figured out right the right way to uh, to 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 do it. either either a topic or a mechanic you know not
0: not in that sense I mean there are uh, there are a number of topics like dinosaurs and the wild west and vikings and you know that I think really cool games can be made upon that that I that I haven't uh, haven't gotten to Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, it's it's interesting to think about exploring cooperative games or more multiplayer games or things like that, but it, it feels more and more like not every possible game has already been made, but if I want that experience, I can probably find it somewhere. I don't have to write it myself. Someone's going to do for you. <laughs> you. know, it used to be definitely the sense that if you know if, if you wanted to play this game, you had to write it because <laughs> nobody else was going to make it. Uh, yeah. But that's not true these days. So um, yeah. I, I think um, yeah, I don't. You know, there, there's games I'd like to write. I think would be cool, but right. there's not like a uh, the The white, it's not a white whale of yeah. gaming out there for me. So,
1: how do you keep? Um, how do you keep the right amount of complexity in a game? Like you know, easy enough that someone's going to be able to like learn it, and they, mm-hmm. won't, they won't get put off from it immediately. But like also have the amount of depth so that you know, like you said, you get there's at least ten yeah. hours of experience right. there.
0: Well, a couple of things that we certainly try to be aware of is this um, this idea of starting simple and, and having things grow. Um, there's also a lot of kind of genre defined mechanics that you can build upon that. So certain things are just familiar to people right away, players right away. Um, I think one of the reasons we often choose historical topics is also because the player is going to bring a certain amount of, you know, intuitive knowledge to the topic and kind of, assume the way things work and if you can make them work the way the player is going to assume then they feel comfortable in that world and are not fighting with the mechanics um there there are lots of conventions i think that you know even something like sound you know to kind of let you know that was a good idea or that was a bad idea or you know we 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 kind of are are trained on how to play games now that uh, you know if 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 an option is presented to you, it's probably something worth trying. You know, you'd really, you'd really be frustrated if the designer presented with a, you know, with a really bad idea and said, "Wouldn't you really like to do this?" <laughs> um, so, kind of keeping the player in the world, you know, not giving them reasons to jump out and, and you know, suspend their disbelief. You know, they, we want them to suspend their disbelief. Um, you know, I think those kind of things are, are, are part of it, um, and then of course there's playing. You know, iterating, playing and playing at yourself, and you know, asking other people to take a look at it. But uh, you de- you definitely have to be aware of the the phenomenon of, of of getting more and more comfortable with your game and losing sight of what it feels like for for early players, and you know, things like the dreaded focus tests and things like that <laughs> can be somewhat helpful yeah, if you're, if you're uh, uh, thick skinned.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, sir, so, it's so also speaking about like just development in general, like how have you, how do you feel like your job has changed? I mean, you know, this going to be the obvious thing, right? Like you used to be all right. by yourself, and right? Now teams are bigger, but like, um, like can you describe like that, how that, what that feeling is like, you know, how, how it used to work versus now? How, what what do you have to do nowadays to make a mm-hmm. game
0: successful? Basically, well, I I mean I've, I've actually struggled and worked pretty hard to keep my world as similar to the old world as possible. It's not it's not possible to to do it completely, but um, generally, the, the first half of a project is very similar to the way that we used to make games. It's just that we used to ship them after the first half, and now we have to now we have to actually finish them. Um, but um, the exploring the idea, you know, creating the playable, and and you know, kind of getting figuring out what the game is and, and finding the fun, I guess, you know, as we say, right. um, that part still kind of works pretty much like it used to in terms of just being a very small number of people and. Trying out all sorts of different things, grabbing assets from where if we can find them, and putting something together that you know is clearly proto- prototype, but spends a lot of time exploring different parts of, of gameplay. Uh, what's different now is then now there's a the second half, which is kind of taking that um, and making it you know a polished product. Right. And that, and that um, that has its own um, you know challenges, especially. Um, you know, do you rewrite the code? Do you, do you refactor? Well, you know how how does that process happen? And uh, but so I'd say you know the the first half of the projects actually are a lot like um, they used to be. It's just like now there's a second half where in in the olden days when we just had sixteen colors, we were pretty much done once we had our you know right. had our had our game working.
1: So I'm curious though, like why? Um why, for you, have you have you felt like the best the best thing to do is to try to keep things the way they used to be for you making use? Because there are other uh, developers who started out as one or you know on one or two person teams who mm-hmm. eventually you know kind of like changed. To be leading, you know, big team. Like I think if, it's hard for me not to make the comparison between like you and like Will Wright, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've worked with right. both of you, and when I worked with Will, he was you know leading a hundred percent team on Spore, mm-hmm. which is just like a totally different, a completely different experience from mm-hmm. kind of the way that you like to continue working, right? Where you're like, I just want to, I want to, you know, if I can, I want to mm-hmm. write the code.
0: Right? Yeah, like, yeah.
1: Like why? Why did you choose that that path?
0: Well, I I find that the more ideas, approaches you can explore, you know, the, the, the more, you, the, the likely likely you are to find kind of the right approach. And that's just easier to do kind of on your own as opposed to trying to explain to other people what you want or wrangle a, a large team, you know, where you're trying to keep the artists busy and the kind of, you know, you have to, kind of project what's going to happen without actually having been able to test it or try it you know i think if you have a larger team they're generally going to be ahead of you you know i, I, I think i mentioned the idea you know back with colonization how we changed something like a two weeks before we shipped we we made this change and mm-hmm. and in my mind the the game is is you know is is flexible up till pretty late but with a large team, it's, it's hard to retain that flexibility because right. you have people making assets and all that, you know this kind of stuff. So, um, I think with with Civ, for example, we do take or the large team approach because there's there's less um, uncertainty about where we're going. Sure. And I think you know maybe that's the trade off is that if if there's a lot of kind of exploration and discovery to be done in the design, then having a smaller team, having a designer who's also a programmer, you know, those things work well. Um, if you have a, a more, you know, a, a, a nice outline of a more, more, clear, clearly defined idea of where you're going, then you can, you can add the resources earlier in the, in the process, I think.
1: Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, let Let's see what let you see next. Uh, So what has, uh, what has what has surprised you about the games industry like in the recent past? Like what did you not see coming?
0: I really didn't see anything coming. Uh, <laughs> I mean the every you know mini revolution has surprised me whether it was, you know, Facebook gaming or mobile gaming or uh, Minecraft or indie gaming or you know, even the CD-ROM, uh, uh, you know, those are uh, on the internet. I mean, I think when something new comes along, it takes us a while to figure out what to do with it. You know, and I think we're seeing that with virtual reality, for example. Right. Um, and somebody figures it out at some point, you know, and and... The rest of us haven't figured it out, so we're surprised with, you right. know, what the solution is. So I think um, those those kind of technological leaps have always um, surprised me. And, and you know, with with Civ and games like that, we've we've never tried to be on the bleeding edge. So uh, it's not as critical for us to to you know try to anticipate what this new technology is going to mean for for gaming and for us, but um you know um, certainly things like facebook gaming and um 90 you know 99 cent games free all all these things um uh, i think were surprising um not only to me but i think to to a lot of kind of traditional game designers um but i think it reinforces our bedrock belief you know that everybody should be playing games and and it's just Finding the right platform, or the, the right topic, or the right approach, or whatever—that there's something inherently compelling about uh, video games, and then.
1: Did you think when you started working on games in the '80s, what did you think? How many people do you think would be playing video games <laughs> three years from there, or was it four years, whatever? It was right, there? right. Like, did um, you see, did, could you imagine kind of like what what happened? Like, i its probably hard for me even to remember what you yeah. thought, but I'd just be curious what you think about that. I
0: I would. I, would, I don't think I would have been surprised to know that it had become as widespread as as it has. Um, I remember showing my mom a really early game that I wrote and having her like go crazy mm-hmm. um, and realize that there was something really compelling about playing games. I would not have anticipated it becoming almost... A, a requirement of childhood mm. to play games, um, or that it would become its own kind of self-referential insular world of um, people talking about games in terms of other games and you know kind of the genres and the in the way it's become a um, almost its own kind of world separated from other you know movies and books and, and, and things like that it's you know right. so I, medium yeah medium. yeah so that that I I, I probably I, I don't think I would have anticipated um, but the the appeal was pretty clear to me early on that it was it was something that once people kind of were exposed to and had easy access to it would definitely um, take off
1: yeah are there any, are there any game, like, big game design problems that are unsolved
0: in your mind that you think about? There's been an attempt to integrate games into your, into your life, you know, I'm trying to think of the game, but it was like, you'd be in your you know home and your phone would ring and it it'd be the game calling you up with them you know majestic (laughs) Majestic. Um, right a while ago yeah um, the the idea of a game as Siri or as you know the the idea of a game that actually enhances your real life as opposed to an experience that you leave you know Mm -hmm. your real life to go to a separate world I'm not sure that's a good idea, but I think that's a um, it's an intriguing um, concept. You know, I think that I guess it was majestic, or there've been one or two um, attempts to do that. Um, the you know, with location-based gaming, there's this idea. I think it's been tried. You know, where where. Based on where you know the aliens are invading the Earth, and you need to go down to the mall and right. with your with your friends and, and defeat them, or you know, I think that
1: did you uh, did you try out Pokemon Go when it was like I I haven't actually I,
0: I was aware of it I I um I'm definitely aware of people playing it but yeah. I, uh, people wandering around our building <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so there's there's uh, there's definitely potential there. I think in the same way that VR, we're still figuring out. We still, you know, that's another technology that kind of hasn't quite uh, found its killer killer app yeah. yet. But um, I think there. I think yeah. I think probably when a new technology comes along, that's the that's the current unsolved problem, you know, de jour. So uh, I would say those those new technologies. Yeah. Um- what game do you wish you had designed? Uh, Tetris. I think probably to be the first one on my list. Um, why? Why? Uh, just a combination of simplicity and and uh, how how appealing and you know it is. I think it's just a uh, a good you know bang for the buck. Um, right. You know was. You look on those and say, gosh, I could have written that in an afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, SimCity probably, you know, another game I thought was uh, really uh, broke some great new ground. Um, Those would probably be the there are ones. a lot of there are the a lot of the games I really like, but sure. I I um uh, I those admire those are
1: the ones when you saw them and you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I know.
0: could have probably, yeah. probably done something like that. Uh, <laughs> Doggone it.
1: <laughs> What's is there a specific game designer that you admire the most? it could be more games.
0: Um, too. I I have to go back to uh probably Dan yeah. slash Danny Bunton. Um Seven Cities of Gold um, was just a revelation for me. I think it kind of got me out of the rut of thinking small and yep. got me into the rut of thinking big. <laughs> um, I've never, you know, there've been a, a lot, but uh, in terms of just pure game design, on you know, with the, the with limited resources and, and technology, just being able to conjure up uh, the world, you know, Mule and, right. and Seven Cities and some of those games um, I'd have to uh, mention, you know, and, and going back even further, like Chris Crawford and some of the early right. Atari games that just kind of said you know, this is a great piece of artwork, take advantage of it and make it make Star Raiders or you Know things like that, so
1: yeah, yeah, uh, well, meal and Seven cities and Seven cities are definitely great examples of doing a lot with mm-hmm. you know ultimately not not that much, you know? yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, there weren't those games were not packed with rules, but they you know, mm-hmm. there was yeah. so much you could do with them,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You
1: know? Cool. Um, what, um, so you probably get this question a lot, <laughs> um, but what. What advice do you give to aspiring game designers? Like, how to you know? They, they, right. a, lot they a lot of them have ideas, like, but how do you, yes. you take that idea and turn it into a fun game?
0: That that has changed over the years. Uh, we we used to um, say write a game um, because that wasn't easy back in the day. So mm-hmm. if you kind of had the gumption to sit down with your seat. Plus Plus manual and, and and write a game, you know that showed that you were really serious about it Yeah today with the with you know with unity and unreal things like that has become a lot easier to Put something on the screen that looks like a game um, And So that kind of Is no longer a, a, as much of a barrier and right. um, the, the, the barrier I think now is there's so many games out there so many you know kind of the visibility getting to getting to uh so I think you have to decide you know am I going to go the indie route or am I going to go the company route right you know the indie route is get your unity make a, a cool game and toss it out there and see what happens uh company route um certainly for us it's uh start somewhere you know probably not going to start as a game designer. You, you, you know, you're a programmer, or tester, or artist, you know, whatever. Kind of get in into a company and take part in the game design discussions or evaluating games or playing the game's prototypes and, you know, if you kind of have a, have an ability to identify good ideas, uh, you know, and, and most... Uh, all, all of our designers have kind of worked their way from somewhere to you know assistant designer or scenario designer or expansion designer right. up to lead designer so there's that process available within a company but um, there you know unfortunately there are not as many lead designer positions available as there are people who would like to be lead designers sure. so it's a it's a it's a, you know that's a fact of life um, well, you know, I think I I mean I don't think I could Make it in this industry today, I, honestly. I, really? I can't. You don't think you'd be I, making I, indie,
1: indie games? Like, I mean,
0: I'd be trying, but um, cause it seems like okay. you'd be, it seems like if you were 18 now, yeah, you'd have
1: the mentality to try to make games by yourself, right? That's I would your style, I would, so. um,
0: I would, but um, would they, I think, um, there's so many games available now, and there's um, there's not really a really good way of separating the you know the wheat from the chaff. So I I, I think it's a matter of uh, there's a lot of luck, there's a lot of you know virality and different things that are not really so much based on on game design as they are um, other factors that kind of influence. How, how games do and, you know, things like that. I, mean, right. I think it's it's probably pretty hard to support yourself as an indie right. game designer, game so, maker. So,
1: if you want, you know, if you want more predictable success, you know, you go with the company. But yeah. That might not be...
0: Right, then you're... For, the right for everyone. So. Right. You have less creative freedom and yeah. things like that.
1: Are there lessons, though, you could give about, like, beyond the, how do you survive in the industry? like you know, how do you you know I don't want to, I don't want it too broad a question, but like mm-hmm. how do you make fun, right? Like how do you take an idea and like or, or or maybe the other way to look at it is like what are the type of are there mistakes you've seen c- common with people who have a hard time succeeding as a as a game designer, you know? Like what what are like the patterns that you've you know you've developed or you've seen other people develop that leads to good design?
0: A couple of pitfalls I think are um it's easy to be too ambitious it's easy to um when you play a game a lot of it happens in your imagination right and uh if you as a game designer you know a lot of times you're like trying to make the new version of uh you know whatever your favorite game is um and you bring all that all that stuff that you had in in your imagination and playing you you assume you have to put that on the screen or you, you assume you have to make that explicit So you are trying to do way, way, way too much. You know, I think that's, um, that's one, one danger. Um, there's another danger of trying to do too little to be, um, to have something that looks like a game and has the mechanics of a game, um, and not realize all the other stuff that goes into compelling you forward. Uh, you know that just because something looks like a game and moves like a game doesn't mean uh, it is a game. You know and it's because it doesn't generate all that stuff in your imagination. What's um, what's missing? Um, kind of a reason to be playing. Okay. I think that goal? Uh, a, a goal, a, a compelling world, a uh, a reason for you to project into the future in your mind, a reason for you to. Maybe interesting decisions are missing. <laughs> um, you know, kind of all those things that uh, you don't really notice when you're playing, but are are, are 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 other than what's happening on the screen at this moment. What's happening in your in your head? Um, you know, to make you know you to make those things. Uh, uh, those are essential to to a good game. Um, uh, another pitfall, I think, is, is this idea of remaking your favorite game. You know, we, we live in a world where uh, the, the current generation, their frame of reference is other games, basically. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that game's already been done, so um, trying to find things outside of the gaming world to bring into the gaming world, you know, I think that's the challenge for, for a generation that's kind of raised on, on video games.
1: Right. That um, you think yeah. a lot of the possibilities are not from remaking the same stuff. Right. From...
0: Right. Right. But doing something doing something new that's and that's harder and harder you know yeah. now that every other, every possible game has been written. <laughs> been made. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, so talking also about you know people coming in, into the industry like what are your thoughts about crunch you know like that you know, it's a it's a problem throughout a lot of the industry, mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of projects get into trouble, People, you know, the companies encourage their employees to work, you know, maybe more than is is, is wise. Like, like how, how have you, but at the same time, you know, I yeah, I don't, you know, I'm sure both of us have probably worked more than we probably should at times right. on, on games. Right. But, it, but <laughs> there's a reason we've done it is because we've been really passionate right. about the making of the product itself, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you approach that?
0: Well, ideally, and and it, I think it it works in many cases. Uh, people will kind of self crunch, you know, if they're if if they're working on a game that they you know have a passion for, or again, feel that the team you know the team needs them. Um, there's you know, I think that ha- that that happens a lot of the time. And then there are the bad cases where, yes, you know, it's kind of a, if not a mandatory crunch, a, a you know, strongly encouraged crunch. Um, I mean, to me, it kind of goes back to what I call like the Heisenberg principle of, of game planning, which is like, you can, you can know what you're, um, you know what your game is going to be, you know what your goal is, but not know when you're going to ship the game. Right. Or you can know what you're going to ship, but not know what the game is going to be when you, when you get there. There's there's, uh, a lot of um, inherent psychological reasons why um, it's hard to uh, plan uh, precisely uh, how games get made and when they get made. And there's, you know, it comes down to this basic principle of you don't know where you've messed up because if you had known where you were going to mess up, you wouldn't have messed up in the first place. So um, all the things that delay your game are going to come generally as surprises because if you had known about them, you wouldn't have done them. Right. So um, unless you kind of add a blanket 25% factor of I probably messed up 25% of the game uh to your scheduling in which case you're going to waste that 25% still still <laughs> you know you're going to you're going to uh, goof off for cuz now you see you've got more time than you think you need right yeah um so there are kind of psychological reasons why <laughs> it's very hard to schedule games and that kind of uh you know leads to crunch time because um, you've you've taken more time than you, you you were than you planned and now you're in this situation yeah um that's the crunch horn (laughs) gotta go it's time (laughs) um you know the, the only the only thing i could say slightly positive is that um i think the idea of crunch is probably a factor in a lot of different industries and and and, uh, you know, I think we, we feel we're crunching towards a a, um, a worthwhile goal. And, um, you know, here, you know, at, there, we have kind of pretty much avoided mandatory crunch or things like that. And, and, and we, we we have recognized it as a problem and, um, and also a reality. But um, the idea that, you know, crunch has to have a kind of a limited... You know, uh, a limited time, and then there's a a decrunch time. You know, where, right. where you kind of say, "Okay, you guys have crunched, so here's some take it easy, take one. it easy for a while." Yeah,
1: right. yeah. Um, so, I also would, would like to know, like, as a game designer, what what do you what do you feel are your moral obligations as a game designer? Like, some I mean, some people don't yeah. say that there really aren't any. You're just trying to make a fun game, but like, what are your feelings?
0: I, I do feel that we have a responsibility um, that can't be just waved away by saying we're making fun or we're making art or we're being creative or um, when I talk to game players that have played my game, stuff has stuck with them, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's um, um, meeting, you know, doing something cool or having something unique happen or feeling really good about how they played or um, I don't think we can just wave our hands and say this is just a game and and whatever happens is fine and you know I, I, um, on the other hand I think people can distinguish fantasy from reality and it's you know that, that uh, that's that's certainly true and we look at all forms of art and entertainment and there, there are things happening there that we wouldn't want to happen in real life. Um, so there's, there's that tension. There's that, uh, but we've just, um, tried not to be gratuitous about things or, you know, we, we don't, you know, use, use shock value or, you know, try to stand out in terms of the the realism of our blood or something, you know, I mean, the, the, the pulling out of our spines. <laughs> uh, that's not how we want to distinguish ourselves from other games that are out there. Um, and, uh, you know, my my son grew up playing games and I grew up playing games with him. And and so I do, you know, I do think that, that uh, when people play my games and I meet them, we've never met... But there's a feeling that we share something we share some you know, whether it's values or experiences or whatever. I think that there is a communication that happens between the game designer and the and the game player that that you have to take responsibility for. Right.
1: No, I think most people, very few people would take issue with the sort of like the thematic material in your games. Generally it all seems to be very positive stuff. But do you ever have feelings about how much pure time people spend playing your games. I mean, that's what your games are often known for, right? Right. They're addictive. People want to keep playing them. They feel compelled to play them.
0: That, um, that is really, hopefully an artifact of how much fun they're having. Um, which is how we rationalize it. (laughs) Um, and, uh, definitely we've, Talked to people and they've uh, mentioned the amount of time they've spent, and some have had to retake a semester of college. Sure, <laughs> uh, but um, I believe um, you know Elon Musk claims that the reason he's successful is he played different other other leading figures. So, um, um, I it, think if, it may
1: be a hard question to answer, right? Like no,
0: it's an of, easy question to answer. Okay. I, th- I think if, if we took, you know, if we said, okay, that is a problem. Let's make a game that people will play less time. Right. Uh, <laughs> that would be a bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we're on the right side of that equation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that would be a pretty tricky thing to do. <laughs> Fun game that you don't want to play all that much. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um almost done. Uh, so what what do you think would have happened to your career if your name had to have gotten stuck to the front of the box so early on?
0: That's um I'd like to think that they wouldn't have been much different because um, to me that is a separate person that's a different identity that's not um that's not me as a person that's me as a brand right um but on the other hand you know i think it's a good question because these days i'm not only a game designer but i'm kind of a spokesperson at times for uh the history of the industry you know that that people want to know um uh, you know, what things were like or um, Somebody to speak about Something I, I mean, it typically is about my game. So I, I you know, I kind of feel that um, It's legitimate um, but Definitely, you know, I probably my name would not be uh, as searchable <laughs> You know if you want uh, give me a game designer, you know the uh, wouldn't come up as high on the on the Google charts there. Um, um, I guess that's you know I, I, it's hard to hard to to say exactly how things would be different, but I you know I think I've only worked at Microprose and Firaxis, right. and I think that whatever happens within those companies, not a whole lot based on um, my name being on the box, but more being on the work that I've done. Um, Now, once you get outside of the company, you know, and people haven't met me or whatever, then then I'm known by the name on the box. But, um, you know, I think if I was trying to change careers or, you know, influence people that that I that I didn't know you know my name being more visible probably would be useful there but that but just in kind of day-to-day life right uh, it's not it hasn't had a big influence I don't think
1: yeah.
0: I get that question I mean I get not that particular question but people you know ask how did your name get on the box and
1: <laughs> right
0: and it is it's definitely something people are aware of so yeah
1: uh, I was that particular question is always kind of interesting because you know, knowing you personally, you know, you one of the you know one of the few designers who had that thing happen to them. Basically, mm-hmm. they became famous because the name of the box. But it's not; it doesn't really flow from your personality. Mm-hmm. Like for me to know you, you know, you know, trying to think back, like it doesn't seem like Sid would have insisted. <laughs> and then you find out the story is kind of you know, kind of like a bizarre right. situation. Why you know. Uh, Bill decided to put put right. your name on the box, right. but then it had this kind of like long ramifications over mm-hmm. the decades. Like yeah. after that became just kind of its own thing, right?
0: Right. right. Um, yeah, and I think you know there's a risk involved as well. I think you know if 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 my name goes on um, something bad, right? Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a risk involved, and I think the power is somewhat overestimated because you know games like uh, Super World and, and, and Ace Patrol, which could have done better, I think, you know, did not, it wasn't like putting this Meyer name on there as a guarantee of, of mindless acceptance. So, right. um, so it, you know, I think it's um, it's become kind of a, a brand idea, but um, it's uh, uh, it's not, the you know, it's not uh, super, super powerful.
1: Right, sure, yeah. Uh, and you never, I mean, you didn't even, you need, you um, and you guys made XCOM, which is right. the one no oh, like I'm trying to think if you guys have another game that didn't use your name at all, right? But like
0: um, Well, Haunted Hollow and some right. of, I mean, there's there's we try to keep a certain amount of validity to, yeah. you know, it's a game that I've designed or yeah. re- designed originally or, yeah. you know, That's I usually think. how I describe it yeah. to people. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. you,
1: know, you, were, you were involved in, you know, you know exactly. either the Origin or like mm-hmm. you were actively doing it. So if you, right. see, that, if you see a new IP that has your name on it, like mm-hmm. probably Sid is writing the code to that game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, so last question.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why
1: have you spent your career making games?
0: Uh, I think making games is the funnest job that you can have, Um, basically you are taking advantage of some amazing technology, you are um, able to be creative, You're, you're able to kind of, in my case, revisit things that I was fascinated by as a child and explore them in more depth and bring them to life as games. Um, you are at the end of the day trying to create fun trying to create a positive experience trying to bring fun to people and have them you know do something that you think is, is kind of worthwhile um, every day is a new adventure you know you, you, you kind of never sure what's gonna happen or what new idea you may or may not have, but what. What disaster is going to befall you, or what brilliance you're going to express? So, um, it's really a reason to pop out of bed in the morning and and you know come and, and, and see what's going to happen that day. Uh, so for me, it's you know that's that's the reason I, I I enjoy it. I can't imagine doing anything that that's more satisfying or, or fun. Yeah,
1: Do you feel like it was inevitable that you would trying to
0: become a game designer or was it kind of no, kind of no. Of it was uh, I, I was in a lot of ways in the right place at the right time to mm. um, I mean I had an interest in games I had uh, studied programming I got an Atari 800 computer when it came out and we were all just you know with uh, you could just sit down in front of your computer and say I am now a game designer right. and, and start designing games and uh, you know it's I, like I said, I, today I don't think I could become a game designer. I, I, I just think it's um, the world is very, very different. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of in the right place at the right time, and and was willing to you know follow that passion. But um, but I was very fortunate to, to to become a game designer and and stay a game designer. I mean, there are lots of designers um, yeah. who, who made great games back in the day that are no longer, you know, making games. And uh, so not only kind of being in the right place at the right time to start making games, but finding ways to continue to make games and, and you know, partnering with, with, with people like, uh, you know, Bill Staley and Jeff Briggs and Brian and, you know, just kind of being able to be in situations where you could make games.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right, well, thank you for sitting down with these mm. four different podcasts. It's
0: quite, it quite the Wow, effect. my pleasure. <laughs> Always good to think about the fun we have making games. Yeah.
1: Cool. I mean, and it's music just, in general.
0: Yeah. Not just Bach. There's a big difference between music in general and Bach. <laughs> it's,
1: it's two categories, is that
0: right? It's right. It's right. <laughs> sure Does like, Handel
1: come close enough or is it. Uh, yeah, Handel is pretty. You can almost make the Bach category. He was like.
0: Bach's precocious little brother or something. <laughs> you know, like, Handel. Was, it, it seemed like it was easy for Handel. Yeah. It seemed like it was a little harder for Bach, but he, like Bach worked at what he did. I thought, that's, you know, my impression, Bach worked at his, his art right. and Handel was like, this sounds good. This sounds good, <laughs> And it sounds, you know, it's great, but you look, you can listen to a Bach piece more, more times than you can listen to a Handel piece. You know, mm-hmm. I think he listened to Handel piece three times and you kind of got it with Bach to listen to it five <laughs> or six times before you where you have you know figured out all the heard all the different things that are going on and yeah. but yeah handle handle is a pretty amazing guy as well the, yeah. his sense of melody was I think better than Bach's. But, oh. <laughs> hot, hot take hot take all right, I'm just saying a- that Bach you hear me <laughs>